Well, in case you didn't know it already, your, your pastor is a sinner since he's never been to Staten Island. He confirmed it in front of us all. And uh, Staten Island definitely is, some would say, the asterisk on New York City. Some would say the stepchild of New York City. But we're definitely uh, glad to have you anytime. It is a beautiful borough. We are the borough of parks. And I can go out of my door at the parsonage behind the church on my mountain bike and be in the woods in like 300 yards and stay in there for seven to nine miles riding around in the woods. So that's a pretty nice thing. And for a guy like me, I was born in Cincinnati, but I grew up kind of in a rural place in Kentucky. So Staten Island fits our family with five kids. We have one of the biggest yards in New York City. Uh, The church has two acres there, and in the middle of it is a big uh, green space. So uh, I do love Queens as well, though, and I'm so thankful for the diversity and the way that the Lord has brought the nations to your borough. I think you are number one when it comes to that statistic as far as uh, the diversity of peoples that God is bringing together. And I really think a gospel church in Queens can reach the world because making disciples in Queens opens the door for the rest of the nations. Uh, This morning, I'd like to ask you to turn to the book of Zechariah, page 795 in your pew Bible. And I want to uh, talk to you this morning about Messiah's temple. And the reason I chose this passage, one of the reasons was that uh, I'm preaching through the book of Zechariah at Willowbrook Church and in praying for and asking the Lord to guide us in how we could bring the word to you, this is where we landed. I do want to kind of give you some background for the book of Zechariah and catch you up in case you haven't studied it in a while. I think this is the first time I've actually preached through the book of Zechariah because it is kind of intimidating. The prophecy in it can be difficult. But let me tell you a few things about it. First, to understand this passage, you need to understand the context. So Zechariah is a prophet of God, meaning he hears from God, he speaks on behalf of God to the people of God. The time that he's writing the book to God's people is after they're coming back from 70 years of captivity. So the children of Israel have been taken away to Babylon, and now they're coming back to their homeland. But their place of worship is in shambles. So imagine being 70 years taken away from home, being held against your will, being in captivity due to your own rebellion against God who called you out of, his, out of the world to himself. <clears throat> so for 70 years they were in captivity. And then you finally get to go home, and for the Israelites this meant they could again worship God as he had instructed them in the temple. However, in the temple, there was no temple. It was destroyed. So they had no place of worship. It'd be like you showing up today and there's no place for you to worship. They had started to rebuild the temple early in their, their arrival back home, but division and attack had kept them from finishing the job. So for a little while, they left off the rebuilding of the temple. But Haggai and Zechariah, this is their purpose in the Old Covenant, in these prophetic books, they are challenging the people of God to, again, rebuild the temple. And Zerubbabel was the governor, so the temple that they were rebuilding during that time, we know as Zerubbabel's temple. And once the temple was rebuilt, then the priests would once again begin to offer sacrifices to God, and Israelite families would 
bring their perfect lambs and other sacrifices to recognize their guilt before God. So the reinstitution of the temple would again uh, remind the people on a regular basis, God is holy and we're not. Year after year and time after time. Now the priests who were to offer the sacrifices were to be the holy people of God. They were to be prepared to represent the people of God, but they had been out of, a ch- out of church for a while. Seventy years in captivity. And the priest of all priests during Zechariah's reign was someone named Joshua. And we're going to read about him in this text this morning. He was the high priest. Now, when you think of Joshua here, this is not the Joshua that followed Moses. This is a different Joshua. And it's interesting also that Joshua is, in essence, the name that our Savior had in the New Covenant. Yeshua, Joshua. It means the Lord saves. So Joshua was the high priest representative. And in Zechariah 6, we see an unusual event. Joshua, who's the high priest, not the king, is crowned with a crown. Confusing the two roles between the office of the priest and the king in one man. However, as we think about the priest and king and one man, we must remember that this passage is about more than Zechariah. It's more about, than about Zechariah or Joshua and the temple. It is about someone who has yet to come onto the scene. It's about the branch that's referenced in this passage. In fact, all the prophecies of the Old Testament find their place in the grand narrative of Scripture, the message that Jesus Loves me, this I know. The ark of redemption is revealed from Genesis through Revelation. And that's how we're going to look at the text this morning. We're going to look at it within that context. We'll look at it through the lens of the new covenant. Knowing that Jesus Christ, the righteous branch, the Messiah of Israel, has come. We stand here now 2,000 years later after His coming. He has lived in perfect obedience to the law of God. And He mediates as our High Priest even now. He mediated through His sinless death on the cross. And as the God-man, He earned the right to be the eternal King of all that is and all that will be. This fact is demonstrated through His resurrection from the dead and His ascendance to the right hand of the throne of God. So as we look at the text this morning, we're going to go quickly from the original context of the nation of Israel, building, rebuilding Zerubbabel's temple, and we're going to go to the new covenant expression of the temple and the fulfillment. So this book of Zechariah is about more than Zerubbabel's temple that would later be destroyed. It is about an eternal temple made from living stones. A temple that can never be destroyed. The temple of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So would you, I don't know what your tradition is here, but would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word this morning. Again, it's on page 795 in your pew Bible. Zechariah chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. And the word of the Lord came to me. Take from the exiles, hell die. Tobijah and Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take from them silver and gold and make a crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, 
the high priest, and say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from this place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord, and shall bear royal honor, and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. And the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord, as a reminder to Helam, Tobijah, Jediah, and Hen, the son of Zephaniah. And those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. Our Father, we pray this morning that you would bless your word to your people. We pray you'd build your temple by the word, that you would strengthen the temple. And we pray, Father, if there be anyone here who does not know Jesus Christ as Lord, that by your spirit you would draw them to yourself, that they would see his glory, that they would see their sin. And help us, Lord, those of us who know you, we pray you deal with us wherever we're at this morning, whatever it is that's going on in our hearts, whatever idols we are carrying around, whatever it is you want to do, Lord, we are open. Have your way, we pray, through Jesus Christ our Lord, the righteous branch. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So if I were to just summarize the sermon on the front end, and you do have a handout there if you'd like to fill fill it out and follow along. Also left some space in the back for you to take some notes, and there's also an additional notes page uh, in your bulletin. But if I were to summarize in a simple sentence what this passage is all about, the branch will wear the crown and build the temple of the Lord. The branch will wear the crown and build the temple of the Lord. In this text, we see that the nation of Israel had returned to Jerusalem and they would finish the rebuilding of the temple. They would do so at the prophetic urgings of Haggai and Zechariah. So think of Haggai and Zechariah as the cheerleaders, as the encouragers, as the ones who are saying, let's let's do this, let's reinstitute the worship of God. And we read in the book about Ezra, I'm not going to ask you to turn there, I'm going to read a few passages like this, I'll just read them for you, you can make note, but it's in Ezra 6, 13-15, it says this, it says, according to the word sent by Darius the king, Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar Bozani, and their associates did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered, and here's what I want you to listen to. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Iddo. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel and by the decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxas, king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. So when we read in Ezra, we see that the temple was completed, that the prophecy and the preaching of the word of God that encouraged the people to rebuild the temple had its desired outcome. Now I want to take just uh, the rest of our time this morning focusing on three elements of this prophecy. The first thing I want us to look at together is the branch. So let's look at Zechariah chapter 6, verse 12. And say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, 
Behold the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from this place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. So we see Zechariah speaking to the priest Joshua that there would be that he, there would be a branch and then we see some specific things that the branch will do. And to get more information on this, the book of Jeremiah helps us a lot. And you might want to turn there uh, quickly to Jeremiah chapter 23. So the passage that was read earlier from Isaiah 11 is beautiful, pointed to the branch and what he'll do and the peace that he'll bring and so on. Another passage that talks about the branch and I want to interact with briefly is Jeremiah 23 verses 5 and 6. And here's what the word of the Lord says through the prophet Jeremiah. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king, and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. So this branch, this is a pronoun in substitution for a person. A person that will come to Israel who will be righteous and shall reign as king. He will be a king. Israel at the time of Zechariah's writing didn't see this king. They were descendants and were carrying on uh, after David and Solomon and the kings that had gone on before. But they didn't know this king. They were waiting for this king. But the branch will be a king. And the branch will bring justice. We also see that in Jeremiah. He will reign as king. He shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. So the branch will be a king. He will bring justice and he will bring peace. So verse 6 of Jeremiah tells us that Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. So you kind of get some pictures of who this branch is. What he'll do. He'll be a king. He'll establish justice. He'll bring peace. Now, you already know. This branch is Jesus. This branch is... From the lineage of David, and this branch is Jesus. Look again, Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David, so a descendant of David, a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king. And uh, the book of Isaiah in chapter 11, when it talks about this branch or a shoot, it talks about it coming from a stump. Meaning Israel would be cut off. So between the book of Malachi and Matthew, you have 400 years where the nation of Israel has no word from the Lord. Over and over they have denied uh, God's leading. And they were cut off. Not completely and utterly. Read uh, Romans 9-11 through and contemplate these things. But in large measure, Jesus came to His own people. His own people 
rejected him. Of course, the 12, 12 apostles are Jewish descendants. And even today, many Jewish descendants are coming to faith and, and recognize their Messiah. They don't have to stop being Jewish to recognize their Messiah. Uh, but we, who are Gentiles, have been included in this family. And so it all finds root in this descendant of David. That's why, after this 400 years of silence, when you get over to the book of Matthew, how does the book of Matthew begin? Matthew 1.1. The genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The righteous branch, a descendant of David. When we get to the New Covenant, the very first verse of the New Covenant tells us that this Jesus is a descendant of David. Jesus Himself testifies that not only is He the descendant, the shoot from David, the righteous branch, but that He is actually the root of David. So He is the creator of King David. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. John chapter 1. The eternal Son of God was there at creation. Created all things by His power. The eternal Son of God incarnated. Added to Himself a human nature. One person with two natures. A human nature, a divine nature. Fully God and fully man. But this one who was fully God and fully man in the person of Jesus Christ was there in the beginning. As God the Son, creating all things. And so Jesus, at the end of the Bible, is able to say in Revelation 22.16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David. He is the creator and He is the fulfiller of the promises. He is the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. So we see the branch in this passage. The next thing I want you to see, and that's your first blank, if you're not used to, uh, if you need to make sure you got it filled in there. The second is the crown. The branch wears the crown. Already we said he comes from David, so the branch will be in the kingly line. But the branch, Jesus Christ, is not just a king. He's the fulfillment of the, all three of the important offices that we see in the Old Covenant. The prophet. He's a prophet like Moses. He's a king from David. But he's also a priest. An intercessor who makes a way for us to have a relationship with God. He made peace through the blood of His cross. So as we look back to the text in Zechariah, we see that the branch wears a crown. The crown, we see, is made from... Precious materials. Precious materials. So look at Zechariah 6 verse 11. Take from them, that is from the children of Israel that have been in exile in Babylon. Take from them the things that they brought back that are precious. Which are gold and silver. Silver and gold. And take these precious things and make a crown. A crown that will be put on the priest. So set the, the crown that you make from the silver and gold on the head of Joshua, the, hun of, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So you hear, this is strange stuff. 
The, the crown should go on the king, not on the priest. But they put the crown on the high priest. Priests were to wear turbans and not crowns. That's what God prescribed for them in the Old Covenant. Joshua had the wrong hat on. Right? So the crown was made from the spoils of the nations. And this is going to be important as we make application to the New Covenant. But we see this in Haggai. And that's the way they say it in Kentucky. I don't know the way they say it in Queens. Haggai. It's a three different ways, at least, you could say it. Haggai, Haggai. Haggai. I don't know. <laughs> so the crown was made from the spoils of the nations. Haggai 2.7 says, I will shake the nations. So you have... You have an emphasis there, not just on the nation of Israel, but on the nations of the world. God is saying, I will shake the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come in. So God will collect treasures from the nations and bring them to His people and to His place. And that He will fill His house with the glory that He collects from the nations. That's what Haggai tells us. In verse 8 of Haggai chapter 2, it says, The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. So there's coming a greater temple with greater glory, with the spoil from the nations. And this crown that's given to Joshua in some form symbolizes that, that, it, that will happen. The gathering together of precious Stones, precious jewels, precious materials from the nations to bring together to make a crown. A crown that will sit in the temple. So look again at Zechariah. I'm sorry, you, it, it's in chapter 9. You could look there if you like. Maybe turn over a page to Zechariah, Zechariah 9 verse 16. Again, Zechariah talks about a crown and jewels. So... In Zechariah 9.16 it says, On that day the Lord their God will save them as the flock of His people, for like the jewels of a crown they shall shine in His hand, in His land. So this is symbolism. I would be able to preach this better if I knew you better and knew where, knew where you're at. I don't know where your understanding is, but a lot of the old covenant prophecies use this symbolic language that have application for us today and help us to understand more in picture form what God is doing. So God is making something beautiful, a crown fit for a king, and the materials He's gathering from the nations. And this material that is for the crown is brought in by God's people. So look back with me again at Zechariah chapter 6, verse 10. Here's where the material comes from. Take it from the exiles. Heldai, Tobijah, Jedediah, that have arrived from Babylon. And just for you astute students, the names that are mentioned at the end of this section are the same guys, just uh, different forms of the names, I believe. A couple of the names. But take this material from the exiles. Verse 11, take from them silver and gold. And again in Haggai chapter 2 verse 7, So the treasures of, the, of all the nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. So, the crown is made of precious materials. 
The crown is brought in by God's people from the nations. And the crown will be in the temple. Will be in the temple. Zechariah 6 verse 14. And the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord as a reminder to Halem, Tobijah, Jediah, and Hin, the son of Zephaniah. And what I wanted to say is, as far as application of this passage is that Jesus is the high priest that wears the crown of glory. He is not just king, but he's also priest. So he is the priest king. He wore the crown. First, we see him in his life. He wore a crown. Do you remember the first crown Jesus wore? It was a mocking crown, a crown of thorns. In Mark chapter 15, we read about it. It says, The soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak and twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on him, and they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him and they led him away to crucify him. So when you see Jesus come, he wears this mocking crown. But then in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, we read this about Jesus. It says, What we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, Crowned with glory and honor. So wearing a crown of glory and honor. And it's not so much about a physical crown. It's about saying uh, something that he deserves. And why does he deserve it? Why does he get the crown? The writer of Hebrews says he is crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death that he went through. He earned the crown by being the priest. He earned the crown by suffering and dying. Now, you may think, well, he always deserved the crown because he was God. Yes, he was God, but he was God who took to himself a human nature. And as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. He fulfilled the law as a man in our place. And we need that. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we, men, meaning men and women, boys and girls, need a substitute. Need someone in our behalf, because we couldn't keep the law, who kept the law in our place. Needing someone in our behalf to die for our sins, to take them away from us. So Jesus is that suffering one. That intercessor. That one to go between us and God. The one who lived the righteous life that you or I cannot live, and the one who died to take away our sins. To reconcile us to God. Because God is holy and we are not. And to approach a holy God, we must be cleansed of our sins. Therefore, he who knew no sin became sin in our place, that we might be made the righteousness of God through him. Jesus died for me. And therefore, as a man, he earned, he was exalted. The Father exalted the Son. And gave Him a name that's above every name. And He is seated currently, the God-man, with a fully human nature, a glorified human nature, is seated at the right hand of the Father. And He ever lives to make intercession for us who are created in His image and for His glory. 
You know, when, when Zechariah had that crown put on, on Joshua that day in Zerubbabel's temple, he just got to wear it for a day, I'm assuming. Maybe not even a day. And from then on, it was put in the temple and reminded, I don't, that crown's not for me. I'm the priest, yes, but I can't wear that crown. There is one coming, the branch. He, he will wear that crown. And so those who would visit Zerubbabel's temple, whoever would get to see this part of the temple, perhaps just the priest, would be continually reminded, this is temporary, this offering of lambs and bulls and goats. Because as we know, the spotless lamb would come. John the Baptist would extend his fingers and say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And that Lamb, if you read the book of Revelation, I know your pastor just preached through Revelation, is a Lamb King as well. The, the Lion and the Lamb, the Lamb of Judah, suffered and died and was able to open the scroll and open the seals and unfold the history of redemption. In a sense, we are the crown as well that the branch wears. We are His crown of glory. We are His purchased possessions. So the, the branch wears the crown and builds, third main point, the temple. The temple. The temple is built by the branch. We see this in the passage, Zechariah chapter 6, verse 12. And say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, the man whose name is the branch... For he shall branch out from this place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord. Now, I hadn't thought of this. I think I picked it up in some commentary, or maybe somebody said it sometime. But it isn't inappropriate that Jesus Christ grew up the son of a carpenter, building things. Because he would build the temple of the Lord. As the eternal Son of God. In His earthly life, He used His hands to build perhaps buildings, furniture. I don't know what all He built. But as the eternal Son of God, He is building a temple right now. So the temple is built by the branch. And the temple is the temple of the Lord. Again in verse 12 of Zechariah 6. The branch will branch out from this place. He shall build the temple of the Lord. It is He who shall build the temple of the Lord. The temple belongs to God. The temple doesn't belong to man. The temple is the Lord's. We learn that clearly from Zechariah. And the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord. Under your third main point, the third sub-point is that it is built with the help of God's people. So the temple that the branch will build, and let's go to the, the first application of this passage. Look at verse 15. Those who are far off shall come and help build the temple of the Lord. Well, that's first applied to Zerubbabel's temple. No, people who were in captivity would come home and help with their hands, pick up stones, take them to the temple, put the temple together. Zerubbabel's temple was built by men. As Zechariah and Haggai preached the word and encouraged them, they brought together the stones. But remember the new covenant application and fulfillment of this is not about a house made of blocks or bricks or stones. 
It's about the living temple of the Lord. And so the application for us under the new covenant is that the people of God go out and to bring together living stones to help build the temple of the Lord. Those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. People in Queens, in Staten Island, in Ukraine, and everywhere around the world, building a temple. The ultimate fulfillment of the temple is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The people of God, all the people of God, gathered from every nation and tongue and tribe. Jesus, the branch, is building the temple of the Lord with living stones. I'd ask you to turn to Ephesians 2 quickly. I don't know what page it's on. But I want you to see from Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 17, that the church is the living temple of the Lord. So Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 17... This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus. He's going to use temple language to talk about the church. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off. We just saw that in Zechariah. People from far off. Places far off. And peace to those who were near. The nation of Israel itself. Because Christ breaks down the wall. Between Jew and Gentile. Together in one body. Verse 18. For through Him, that is through Christ, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. Look at verse 20. And we're going to use this building language. You are members of the household. So you're like living stones in the household. In the house itself. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And this this kind of language is carried over in the book of Revelation. Where we see 12 foundations and 12 gates. Representing the 12 apostles of the new covenant and the 12 prophets of the Old Covenant, meaning all the people of God. It's another reason why when you see the building uh, dimensions, it's 12 times 12, 144. God's people. This is, it's no coincidence that Jesus chose 12 apostles. The New Covenant is a continuation of the Old Covenant. And so He brought together 12 Hebrews. So, We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Here's the most important stone in the building. Jesus Christ. He Himself is the cornerstone. In whom the whole structure... That's temple language. The whole structure... You can know that we're not making up this application of Zechariah talking about the temple being the church because the New Covenant and Paul the Apostle and many other places in the New Covenant amens this. We're actually... Just digging out what God has revealed to us. That God is working on a building. (coughs) 
The whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So the beautiful fulfillment of the temple is not dead stones, but living stones. Not temporary dwellings, but an eternal dwelling. And Jesus is building His temple, even now. We know this from Matthew chapter 16. Jesus speaking to Peter says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we are joining Him in this work of building the temple. One more passage I'll ask you to turn to and then I probably won't ask you to turn to any more. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3. More temple language. More building language in specific application of the church toward the church. So 1 Corinthians 3 beginning in verse 9. Apostle Paul again speaking. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. So one of the metaphors that God loves to use about His church is a building. Is a temple. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So the foundation of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ. The cornerstone of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ. But we are helping to build this temple. God by His Spirit uses us to go out and gather stones. Beautiful, uh, precious materials. Woodside church is not complete. They're still missing stones that you got to go find. I'm going to make more application in just a minute. Verse 12 says, If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, there you see that gold and silver again, right? Touching and connecting you with the book of Zechariah. Paul the Apostle knew of this. So he's making an application here that God is building a temple with gold and silver in this temple and precious stones, as Zechariah also said, or wood, hay, and straw. <laughs> God will judge one day how you can.
thing. I, I'm told Mona, the Mona Lisa is very valuable. But nobody's going to buy her. She's not for sale. So I want to distinguish between the value and the cost. Something can be very valuable, but nobody ever actually pays for it. So first think about the value of this temple. The value of this church. Jesus tells us that the whole world couldn't be given for just one soul. the, The whole world is not worth what one soul is worth. And you are a temple of many souls. Your value is beyond billions, beyond trillions, beyond all money. Nothing can, nothing can estimate the value of this congregation. You are valuable to God. You're so valuable, I want you to consider and meditate on the cost of this temple of the Lord. First, think about the construction cost of the temple. In order for Christ to build this temple right here, He had to die. The construction of the temple required the death of the maker of the stones. The construction of the temple required the death, the sacrificial death of the builder of His temple. So the one who is building the temple is the one who died for the temple. The Bible tells us in the New Covenant, there's no way, no greater way to show that you love someone than that you're willing to lay down your life for them. And God demonstrated His love for us by laying down His life for us and for this temple. God so loved His temple that He gave His life. The next point of application I want to point out is that you should appreciate the building blocks of Messiah's temple. There are diversity of stones in any building. I was driving here from Staten Island and some of those walls on uh, 278, the BQE, I was thinking, what if just one of those stones was plucked out? I would feel a little nervous, wouldn't you? (laughs) I mean, the more stones they're missing, the more nervous I'm going to feel driving under some kind of overpass or something. Each stone is distinct and each stone has value. Each stone in the building doesn't accomplish the same purpose. Some are, just look at this building. Some are involved in the roof, some in the walls, some in the floors. Some of the important stones in this building you never see. They're hidden. But they're just as important. Even the cantankerous members of Woodside Church are valuable. The ones that are harder to get along with. The ones you don't understand. The ones that have different political opinions than you. The ones that have different sports teams than you. The ones that have different preferences. They're valuable alike. And the beauty of God's temple is in its diversity. We see that displayed in the book of Revelation. God forbid that a church in Queens be composed of everybody who's exactly the same. That would be disgusting. What a beautiful place to be the temple of the Lord. What a beautiful time to display the glory of God to the world in people who are different. Coming together for one thing 
Because the branch is wearing the crown and he's building a temple. That's why we're here. It's not based on politics and preferences and so on. Now, as I talk about cantankerous members, it doesn't mean that some stones in the building don't need some cleaning. It doesn't mean that some, for those of you lay blocks, some of the blocks may need some pointing. Some refurbishing. How many of you in your heart this morning say, Lord, let me be that stone that you chip away with and mold and make sure that I am an integral part of the building that you're building. If I need to be cleaned up, clean me up. If I need to be edged, remortared, because it's more about the building than it is about the individual stone. The fourth application is care for the maintenance of Messiah's temple. The care of Messiah's temple is left to the responsibility of God's people. And so through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are to work together in the care of the temple. How are you doing caring for this temple? Are you more concerned with your agenda? Your preferences? Or the care of the temple? I'll tell you the number one concern of your pastor Outside of his relationship with Jesus Christ, caring for his wife and family, of course. is without a doubt. And he bears the burden in your, of caring for the Lord's temple. This temple is holy to the Lord and it needs continual maintenance. Continual work. A groundskeeper of sorts. The fifth application and a warning to all of us. Do not destroy God's temple. In 1 Corinthians, we saw that. Do not harm Messiah's temple. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. Quickly repent and confess. Be quickly reconciled to your brother or sister if offended. Run away from gossiping and backbiting. Don't destroy the work of the Lord. Because here's the warning. If anyone destroys God's church, God's temple, God will destroy him. I don't want to have God against me. And I don't want to be against God. The sixth point of application, join together to help construct the incomplete temple. It's not just about getting together here on a Sunday morning. The, the, real, this is, the, the real work is out there. Gathering stones, rough stones. Oh, I don't think they'd be interested in church or things of God. I made that mistake this past Sunday, or this past week. I went out of town. I was on a flight. I'm getting used to New York, so I'm trying to get as cynical as possible, as calloused as possible, trying to keep my mouth shut as, unless I know somebody. You know, learning all the rules, right? So the guy next to me on the plane, I didn't start the conversation. He did. Shame on me. The guy next to me on the plane was Jewish. The most interested Jewish man I've ever seen in Christianity, at least at least open. And the, the Lord just opened the door so wide. I said no for him. I shouldn't have done that. Because once I began to speak, the Lord allowed me to go from Genesis to Isaiah to... John the Baptist and just everywhere. It was amazing. He just kept asking questions. His name is Jared. 
Pray for Jared. Jared's out here somewhere. I don't, he doesn't live in Queens, but he's in this city. There are many other Jareds. Don't say no for them. The Lord may have chosen them as one of His precious stones. They just don't know it yet. They need to be mined. They need to be brought together. How many buildings would be built if no one ever made a trip to Lowe's or Home Depot? you got to go get the materials to come together to build the building. And the stones that are currently rough stones are out in the world and waiting to be mined and retrieved. The, th- the funny thing about stones is the fact that they have no life. You n- you're not going to see the stones walking to the temple to put themselves in. Most of the time, the people that come to our church at Willowbrook are already awakened. That's who's coming to your church. People who are already God is dealing with or is moving along. Some haven't even begun to stir yet. But they will begin to get faith as the Word is proclaimed because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. So if we don't preach and they don't hear, they won't believe and they won't come. So working on the building is going to get the stones and that happens through proclamation of the Gospel and by prayer. And God rips out hearts of stone and replaces with hearts of flesh. He unstops deaf ears and He opens blind eyes. Through the gospel. He's still doing that. Because he's still working on a temple. Messiah is building a temple. And as you go, expect there will be opposition. Everybody's not going to want to hear. Even in uh, Zechariah's day, there was opposition to rebuilding building Zerubbabel's temple. Ezra 4.4 4 says, The people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build the temple. New York City doesn't like your religion. I mean, they're okay with the religion as long as you keep it to yourself. You go meet in your place. We're all right with that. We're a city of diversity. We have all the religions. But don't, strike, don't try to convert me. Don't, don't try and tell me about your God. That's when it starts getting messy, right? That's when people start to get a little, ho, ho, ho. Your religion is fine. Keep it over there. You will, you will receive some resistance. This church may receive some resistance, some more formal resistance in the future. And so might we. And we can expect that. There will be resistance. One commentary wrote, Just as the people of Zechariah's day faced many challenges, so does the church today. There are challenges of persecution and martyrdom. And challenges of secularism and materialism and idolatry. Just as there were scoffers in Zechariah's day, There are those who scoff at the lack of influence and power the church displays in the world. Or at the misused power it displays at times. Many things done in the name of Christianity that harm our witness. This vision is a great encouragement that God's word in the power of the spirit will accomplish its purposes. It is an encouragement to preach this word even in the day of small things. Knowing that God keeps his promises. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So until we together, as the temple are made complete, and gather together in the new heavens and the new earth, until at last there's no more noise of the hammer and the chisel of the gospel proclamation and the imperfect prayers of God's people, until that day,
Yeshua. So thankful that you've included us. Called us. Lord, let us bring you glory. Let us be a crown of glory. Let Woodside Church be a crown of glory. Advance your kingdom here, Lord. Build your church. Lord, enlarge your temple. Add living stones. Help us to quarry and to work. Help us pastor in this congregation, Lord. May you build a church here that the gates of hell cannot withstand. We look forward, Lord, for people from Staten Island and Queens and Manhattan, Brooklyn and Bronx. From the U.S. and from the world. From every tribe and tongue and nation. Gathering together in one holy dwelling place of the Lord. Help us to work and labor and to protect this building. For your glory, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.